Please open your Bibles if you'd like to read along to the book of Matthew, chapter 17. I will be reading uh, verses 14 through 27, the end of the chapter. I'll give you a second as I see people flip in there. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith, For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. They were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Well, good afternoon. I, uh, in light of the, uh, what's been shared by way of bridge and uh, the invitation cards and all the rest, I thought it might be helpful to you to Uh, share a little bit of my examples so that you'll know how not to do uh, invitation and all. The the other day I was uh, at the barber which is right across the parking lot here and uh, I've decided to use that as my barber so that we can build community connections there and as uh, she is cutting my hair she says hey I met somebody from your church the other day. I said really? Uh, A guy named Kevin and um, uh, he told me about your church and said that there were things going on that I'd really enjoy. And 
Something about a Saturday morning, 10 to 12 uh, Bible study or something like that. And my brain went complete freeze. I, I had no idea what she was talking about. And I'm not, I'm not lying to you. I, 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 I uh, we don't have a Bible study on Saturdays. And I sat there for another 15 minutes getting my hair cut and didn't even come to me. I get home, oh, bridge. <laughs> here, here she was practically asking me to invite her and my brain froze. Anybody relate to that at all? All right, okay. So we're all in it together, all right? None of us gets this. Uh, I, w I wish I could have the time to tell you stories of others in this congregation who, I mean, just this week alone, the astonishing acts of, of mercy and outreach that are going on uh, into multiple lives, including families from across the world who are now immigrants in our community. Extraordinary kindness and hospitality and generosity going on by you folks and drawing them in, uh, drawing them in to the church to have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. So thank you all for what you're doing. Don't follow my example, although take encouragement from the example. Why do, we, why do we do this? Well, it is because Jesus is who He is. It's not because this church is great. It is because Jesus is great. It is because we have a Savior, and we have a Lord, and we have a King, and we have a Master, and we have a Redeemer who is worthy, and who everyone needs. And so we try to live our lives as faithfully as we can, as openly and transparently as we can, as focused on the world as we can, so that we can lead those who do not know Jesus into the light and into the life and love of this great Savior. Based on the text that's just been read by our brother, my message today is called the authority and submission of Christ, the authority and submission of Christ. That's a strange combination, isn't it? We are here to proclaim this afternoon the authority and the submission, or you could say the humility of Christ. Now it is as both of these come together in the person of Jesus that we find our salvation. People who think that all religions are basically the same obviously do not know Jesus. People who think of Christian religion just in terms of church and duty and ritual and rules are missing the whole point. It may seem obvious, but I would contend that to hear people talk today is to discover that very few people understand this. The point, the point of the Christian faith is Christ. The whole point is Jesus. It's He is 
what it's all about. And in this text that has been read, we see this Jesus in his authority and in his submission. We learned last week from earlier in Matthew 17 that God the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration spoke from the clouds, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He has authority. He is my Son. He is my appointed King and Master and Messiah. Listen to him. He has all authority. And in this text, as Jesus comes down off of the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus exercises that authority over three realms. First of all, keep your Bibles open. You'll want to see these things right from the text so that you don't make the mistake of thinking I'm making them up. This is right in the text. This is right in God's Word. King Jesus, first of all, has authority over the realm of demons. Notice chapter 17 and verse 18. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. From this text and from the parallel text in Mark and Luke, we realize this demon that was obsessed uh, that was possessing and dominating and tyrannizing this young child was a powerful evil spirit wreaking tragic havoc in this boy's life including causing self-destructive tendencies so that he would throw himself into fires he would throw himself into water he this demon often overpowered this child and and the faith and the power of the disciples was no match for this demon. But then Jesus shows up coming down from the mountain. He hears what's going on. He rebukes the demon and commands the demon to leave. In the words of Mark's gospel, Jesus says, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you. I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Jesus commands him to leave and to never, ever, ever come back. And the demon instantly left. Jesus has authority over the realm of demons. Friends, there are literal demons, there are literal evil spirits that are functioning in the spiritual realm, in the invisible realm of the universe, and there are figurative demons, powerful evils <coughs> that sometimes can dominate our hearts, dominate our lives. But Jesus can, and when he rebukes and commands he does deliver from demons he does deliver he has all authority over the realm of demons they have no power when in his presence they cannot resist his will they cannot ignore his commands this means friends that there is no evil power anywhere anywhere in this universe that is as great as jesus christ 
There is no power that can overcome his will. There is no power that can resist his command. And for us as God's people, for us who know and love King Jesus, that means there is hope. There is, there is hope for us. For there are times when we face what feels like the very worst that hell can bring. When we fix our faith gaze upon Christ and wait for him to work, he commands our deliverance. King Jesus has authority over the realm of demons. Secondly, King Jesus has authority over the realm of impossibility. Notice verses 18 through 20. <coughs> And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now Mark makes it clear in his account that this faith is to be exercised through earnest believing prayer. And as we pray earnestly believing that King Jesus has authority over everything, including the realm of the impossible, he will move those mountains. He is a God who is able, he is the Lord and King who is able through his power and through his authority to do the impossible in our lives. Jesus says, nothing will be impossible for you. What he really means by that is as you exercise faith manifested in prayer, my impossibility overcoming power will be activated and I'll move the mountains for you. In the mystery of prayer, our mustard seed sized faith moves King Jesus to move mountains. Folks, this, we must be clear, this is not name it, claim it, this is not word, faith, say it, and it will be done teaching. For there are many texts in Scripture that teach us that God is not a genie whose prayer lamp we rub to get all of our wishes. Prayer is not magic. God is still sovereign. You know as well as I do in real life that there are many, many times when you and I have prayed in faith. But God has not given us what we asked for because He knows it wouldn't be good for us. Or because He has something better for us. Our wish is not His command. But when we ask in faith. God does move mountains. The Lord Jesus is Lord over the realm of the impossible. Sometimes 
the mountain of the impossible gets moved over time. You ever notice that? It didn't happen instantly, but over time, God moved that mountain and the impossible became a reality. I mentioned a few minutes ago the wonderful, almost tag team evangelism that is going on by so many people in this congregation. And I'm thinking in particular of a couple of families that have been affected by a number of you. These are a couple of families who are immigrant families who have come from the other side of the world and have come with practically nothing, have come with no family, and, and they are part of a faith that is that is opposed to and diametrically opposite to the Christian faith. And yet, you look at them and you say, Oh Lord, that they would feel welcomed, that they would be provided for, but then mostly, Lord, that they would come to know Jesus. And it looks almost at times like an impossible mountain. It looks like something that just can't happen, but God does the impossible. And he moves different people to serve and to show kindness and hospitality and friendship and love and care and provision. And God slowly chips away at the mountain. Just this past Sunday, following worship, one of our community groups gathered for a barbecue, I think it was, and one of these families was there. Seeing and observing the church and the people of God, how they love one another. Oh, let us believe God for the impossible. Let us believe God to do what only He can do. He, Jesus has authority over the realm of the impossible. Sins really do get defeated. And addiction chains really do get broken. And people do get saved and radically transformed and prodigal sons and daughters do come home. They do come home and the ill do get healed and justice does get increased and unborn babies are rescued and broken marriages that seem to have brought about the end of life. You, you find out that somehow or other impossibly but wonderfully there's life after Death does not defeat us. Grief is not final. King Jesus rules over the realm of the impossible. Third, King Jesus has authority over the realm of death. Over the realm of death, Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, and this isn't the first time he's said this, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day. Here we see Jesus, once again, predict His own death. He is showing His authority over death here in a number of ways. First of all, He decided that He would die. Remember, He is the eternal Son of God who, had, who has been in existence forever and ever and ever. And He's the one who decided to become one of us, to take on a human body, to become human, so that in His human body, He could offer Himself 
for us. He exercised authority over death in deciding that he would die. He decided when he would die. Not a moment before, not a moment after the plan of God. He was heading toward Jerusalem at this point for the very specific purpose. His reason for coming and his reason for going to Jerusalem was to die. And he decided by his authority and power when he would reverse that death. So that on the third day he was raised from the dead. This is the king, I tell you. This is the one who has authority over death itself. So that John the Apostle could write this in John 10. For this reason, Jesus is speaking here, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. <laughs> Nobody else can say that, folks. On the cross, what does he say right near the end? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What's he saying? Father, it's time. I'm going to die now. I'm going to breathe my last. Amazing. It's amazing. He, he had authority. He had authority over death. And then on the third day, he threw open the grave. He ripped down the bars of death. And up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He is Lord over death so that Jesus... King Jesus says in another place, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Oh, Christian saint, child of God, we must believe this. In the words of Hebrews chapter 2, since therefore the children, that's us, since we share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those, that you and me, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You and I and every human at some point or other is terrified of death. But Jesus came and put death to death so that we can be delivered from the tyranny of the fear of death we can face life we can face death and we can know that we're going to win because he has authority over the realm of death death cannot hold its prey death could not hold him death will not hold us oh we we most likely unless jesus comes back first we most likely will die, but we will live again. We will not really die. We will depart. We will pass from this life into the next because he who is mighty has done a great thing, taken on flesh and 
conquer death's stain, shatter the darkness and lifted our shame. Holy is his name. He has all authority over the realm of demons, over the realm of the impossible, over the realm of death. There is enough there, folks, for us to go home happy and hopeful. There's enough there for us to have our souls fed and nourished. But what is striking in this text is that with that authority as the backdrop of uh, there is this submission of Christ that happens in Matthew chapter 17. He who is mighty, he who is Lord, he who is on the throne exercises humble submission toward us. So I want you to just notice this quickly. He submits in three or four ways. First, King Jesus submitted to ministry discouragement. He submitted to ministry discouragement. Did you notice verse 17? And Jesus answered when He heard that the disciples could not deliver this young child from this demon, Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? I suspect many in this room don't have a category for what Jesus says and feels right here, specifically that it came from Jesus. Doesn't it sound somehow a little bit less than holy? A little bit less than hopeful? Jesus is discouraged. He is tired. He is fatigued. Ministry to people that He loves, care for people that were around Him, was getting him discouraged because those people just weren't getting it. Jesus is lamenting here. He is lamenting the condition of the human heart that just doesn't seem to understand. Do you have a category for holiness that laments? See, Jesus is holy. We know He is without sin. He never did anything wrong. So this lament here, this weariness, this grief here is a holy lament. There's nothing wrong with it. We need to, we need to just catch the, what's going on here. Just a few verses before was the Mount of Transfiguration, right? This, so this was a, literally a mountaintop experience. This, this was Jesus up on a high mountain, having His glory revealed, holding a conversation with Moses and Elijah, and it is, while He was on earth, a peak moment, no pun was intended there, but a peak moment in Jesus' experience. And we read in verse 14, when they came to the crowd, that is, when they came down from the mountain to the crowd, they were greeted by a group of people 
with this child with them, and this group of people said, we brought our son to your disciples, and they couldn't deliver this child. So think about the timing words here. When they came down, this crowd came to him saying, we brought this boy to your disciples and they couldn't help him. So what that means, if you, if you think it through, is that while they were up on the mountain, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, and Peter, James, and John, while they were up on the mountaintop, down in the valley of the real world, there were demons and doubt and disbelief. And Jesus comes from this mountaintop experience, steps back into this dark, evil world. And his heart is overwhelmed with grief. He longs, he longs for the darkness to dispel. He longs for the doubt to dispel. He longs for the demons to be banished once and forever. He is tired. He is tired. How many of you know what ministry and care fatigue feels like? How many of you, moms and dads, are wondering how long until my son or daughter gets it? How many of you community group leaders are longing for members of your group to understand? How many of you who are trying to help others see matters of racial justice and respect, matters that do matter enormously to God and enormously to you, but it seems like so few others really care. They don't get it. How many of us care deeply and rightly about unborn human life, precious little babies? For that is exactly what Scripture and science tell us that they are. We long that people would stop the killing. Sometimes we get tired of waiting. We long for it. This text tells me two things. Number one, it's okay to feel discouraged. Because Jesus did. And number two, it's okay to say so. Because Jesus did. It's okay to feel discouraged. How many of you do? I have discouragements every week of my life. Discouragements. Fatigue. It's okay. It's okay to feel discouraged. And it's okay to say so. It's okay. And that isn't a matter of calling other people fools and idiots because they don't get it. It's not permission to go on a, a nasty accusation campaign. What is the matter with you people? Now, keep in mind that um, at one point or another, you discourage somebody. This isn't an excuse for self-righteousness. This isn't an excuse for anger. This isn't an excuse for malice. But it is the Lord Jesus, King Jesus, giving us permission to be discouraged 
and to say so. In hope and in faith that he is the one who will one day move the mountains and make all things right. King Jesus submitted to ministry discouragement. He submitted to human hands. Notice verse 22, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. I won't linger on this long, but folks, I just want you to understand, I want you to hear the, 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 the wrenching paradox and, and mystery of this. He who made the hands of men submitted to the hands of men. He who created these men submitted to their abuse. He, in his humility, with his mind focused on the cross, he allowed himself to, to be taken by human hands, to be mistreated by human hands, to be nailed to a cross by human hands, human hands that he had made with a decree of his own power and might. This is astonishing humility. He who has all authority submitted to human hands. Third, King Jesus submitted to sin-atoning death. He submitted to sin-atoning death. Verse 23, Jesus says about himself, they will kill him. Jesus let himself be killed. Now you say, Tim, where do you get atoning death from? They will kill him doesn't sound like sin atoning death. Sounds like murder. This is where we need to remember the context, what has come before and what will come after. In Matthew chapter 1, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 20, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, what? A ransom for many. Matthew 26, my blood is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is a sin atoning death. They, he was killed by human hands, but he was, in the words of Peter in Acts chapter 2, delivered up into their hands by the predetermined plan and purposes of God. God sent him into the world to give his life a ransom for many. He died for our sins. We live in a culture, we live in a world that hates everything about what I just said. It hates the notion that we are sinners. It hates the idea that our sins need to be punished. And it hates the idea that there was an atonement. There had to be an actual sacrifice, a blood atonement poured out for the forgiveness of their sins. They just want God to somehow be this, this cuddly, easygoing grandfather in the sky who just kind of waves his forgiveness over us all because he's got such a soft heart. He has a holy heart. And in his holiness, he must punish sin. 
but he has a loving heart. So he doesn't want to punish your sin in you. And so in his love, he said, I will take your place. And this is the sin-atoning death. The world hates this message. But we who know who Jesus is understand that this is the very heart of it all. This is what it's all about. This is our greatest need. I am a sinner. One day I'm going to die. I'm going to stand in the presence of a holy God. And if I don't have a sacrifice that is sufficient to cover my sin on that day, He will say to me, depart from me. I never knew you. If I don't have a Redeemer, if I don't have a Savior, then I will be forever lost and will bear the punishment of my sin forever and ever and ever. But God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. This is a sin-atoning death. This wasn't murder. It was murder. But it was much deeper than that. Jesus wasn't a martyr. He was a redeemer. Jesus didn't die primarily because people wanted him dead. Jesus died because God the Father and God the Son before time began got their hearts and their heads together, if I can put it in that language. And they decided that the day would come when God the Son would enter into this world and live among us and die for us and die in our place so that we might live with Him forever. King Jesus submitted to sin atoning death. And finally, King Jesus submitted, submitted His rights to others' needs. To track this with me, Jesus, King Jesus submitted His rights to others' needs. Look at verse 24, the close of this chapter. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? I like the way Arnaldo read this earlier. He said, I can't reproduce what Arnaldo did. Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, however, not to give offense to them. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. And by the way, I, as Arnaldo was reading this earlier, I realized that I failed to note another realm over which Christ has authority. It is the realm of nature. Here, here he, tells, he tells this fish who was somewhere in the Sea of Galilee a few minutes before, I want you to appear at this spot because I want you to get caught. And by the way, let me put a couple coins in your mouth. And with those coins, Peter proceeds to pay this tax. Now that's a side note. What's important and fascinating and 
for application in our life is what is really going on here. Let's begin by remembering who Jesus is. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. This is the King who has authority over the realm of demons, over the realm of the impossible, over the realm of death, over the realm of nature. This is the King of the Kingdom of God. We need to remember all that. Now, there was a tax in those days, a two drachma tax, and that refers to a temple tax that went to the upkeep of the temple and, and various other needs of the temple. And the question emerges as to whether Jesus, who, by the way, is king of the temple, who is the one that people were to worship while in the temple, the people come and said, well, should Jesus pay this tax? And should his followers, the sons of the kingdom, pay that tax? And the question Jesus asked is, well, what do kings of the earth do? Do, do they tax their sons or they tax others? Well, they don't tax their own family. Those who rule have no need to pay taxes in that context. So Jesus' implication is, I rule. It's my temple. I'm the king. I have the right to go tax-free. I have the right not to pay the tax. And by the way, Peter, since you are one of mine, you're a son of the kingdom, you belong to the kingdom of God. I am your king and I'm making you my family. Since you are part of my family, you, Peter, don't really have an obligation to pay this tax. I don't have an obligation to pay this tax. However, verses 26 and 27, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast out a hook, and pay the tax. What is Jesus saying here? He is saying, I have the right not to pay this tax, but the needs of others trump my rights. If I don't pay this tax, people are going to think I don't care about the temple. People are going to think I'm throwing off temple authority and I'm throwing off God and I'm just doing my own thing. And this will be a stumbling block to them so that they cannot hear the full truth of the gospel. And so, so it's not to give offense, so as not to do or say anything that gets in the way of people hearing the gospel. Let's pay the tax. Jesus submitted his rights to human need. Do you, do you track it? Do you follow it? Is that clear? Brothers and sisters in Christ, in this life and in the mission to which we are called, there are many things which we as sons and daughters of the kingdom are free to do. We, we are free, are we not? 
There is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. We are heirs of all things. Everything in the heavens and in the earth one day is going to belong to us. We are free from needing human approval. We are free from the tyranny of materialism and hedonism. And we are just free to know that God himself is our satisfaction and God himself is our delight. We are, we are free in the sense of what is said elsewhere in Scripture. What can man do to me? What's the worst that others can do to you? The worst they can do to you is kill you. And, and killing you, you go where? You go to heaven, which isn't bad. So that's actually better than here. And so the worst they can do for you is the best that can happen to you, right? That's freedom, folks. That's freedom. And God has said to us that all of His creation belongs to us. And it's, it's good and it's to be received with thanksgiving and it's to be declared holy through prayer. This, this is all ours. We are free. We have it all. As children of the King, as children of the Kingdom, it's ours. But, but, let us not exercise that freedom in such a way that we put unnecessary obstacles in the way of other people's faith. Let us have the heart and mind of Jesus who was willing to relinquish his rights for the sake of others' needs. See, there's, there's a difference between having rights and needing rights. We don't need rights here because we have everything in Christ. What can man do to us? I'm not saying that we should not stand up for and advocate for justice and the rights of other human beings. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we should fight more for the good of others and the gospel than we fight for our own rights. And what should matter the most to us is that that person you meet on Tuesday hears about Jesus. What should matter the most to us is that person you meet on Thursday or on Saturday sees the love of Christ in you, sees that you care about them and you're willing and you are able to forego your rights to maybe some free time or some relaxation or some carefree living or whatever it is, you're willing to forego your rights because they matter more than your rights do. That's the mindset of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do not look after your own interests, but look after the interest of others. Consider others more important than yourself. That is radical Christ-likeness. Radical Christ-likeness. But it is to that that we are called. Here is the authority of Christ. He has authority over the realm. Help me out here. As I close, he has authority over the realm of demons. He has authority over the realm of the impossible. He has authority over the realm of death. And then we tacked one on at the end. He has authority over the realm of nature. But though he had that authority as God, he submitted to ministry discouragement. You really got to help me now. My brain is tired. He submitted, secondly, to what? You got notes in front of you? All right. We just hit a wall. Sin atoning death. He submitted his rights 
to the needs of others. And I know I left one out there, but you got your notes. He who is mighty has done a great thing. Part of the greatness of what he has done is he has humbled himself, become a servant, and as a servant became obedient unto death, even death on the cross, because he cared more about our needs than his rights. Oh Lord, would you please make us like Jesus. Father, help us to worship Christ because he has all authority. He is the king after all. He is your beloved son with whom you are well pleased. But help us to be willing to be humbly submissive to your will, even to the mistreatment of others, even submitting our rights for their needs so that they may have no offense, no obstacle keeping them from Jesus. Oh Lord, give us such a heart. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his authority and his humility. We pray it in his powerful name. Amen.